Welcome to our podcast, All Things Baptist. We desire to bring awareness to what we believe as Baptist, to engage the listener to understand different views of Baptist theology, and to help the listener know more about all things Baptist. This may be talking with pastors, leaders, missionaries, or just introducing some great Baptist of the past. We hope that it is a blessing and help to you. And now your host, Dr. Steve Dameron. Welcome to All Things Baptist. And the doc is in the house. And this week and next week, we are prepping for a module that we're doing with Independent Baptist Seminary in Dubuque, Iowa. I'm not sure where that's at. It is in this one of the 50 states <laughs> in the Midwest. But I'm going to have a lesson, a sermon, that he taught at his church in Dubuque, Iowa, on the red flags of CCM. Hopefully it'll kind of whet your appetite for what we're going to be talking about, and that is a module that we're hosting in May, in Dubuque, Iowa, May 14th, 15th, and 16th. It's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Pastor Tom Brennan's going to be teaching on discerning right and wrong music. So hopefully you enjoy this, and then next week we'll interview him with some questions in regard to what he will be teaching in that module in May in Dubuque, Iowa. Enjoy. In the following Wednesday, three weeks on contemporary Christian music. That's what CCM is short for, contemporary Christian music. You say, what's contemporary Christian music? The word contemporary just means uh, modern or new. Um, And uh, so it it references music that would, our our music is what they would label conservative or traditional. And uh, this is the term they use. Sometimes they use the phrase contemporary worship music. Uh, if you find a church that talks about praise and worship music, that means CCM. Uh, generally speaking, if you look at a church and there's a, a, a band on the platform, it's CCM, a CCM type of church. Um, they're in all kinds of churches nowadays. Um, in the early 19th century, when the steam engine was invented, it revolutionized movement. And it wasn't long before somebody thought of putting that into a vehicle on land. We always think of that in relation to a railroad. A train pulling a a set of cars on a railroad but other people thought about putting steam engines into the equivalent of coaches and getting them to move and uh, in 1865 Parliament England was very concerned about this and they passed the Locomotive Act to keep everybody safe don't you love when government wants to keep everybody safe Um, and uh, they they wanted to limit the damage that self-propelled moving vehicles would do. I did hear somebody hit a house with a car here in Dubuque at the last week or so. Uh, Brother Dana, was that you? Anyway, um, so they limited uh, the speed of these self-propelled steam engine vehicles to four miles an hour in the countryside. And in town, they limited it to two miles an hour. And they mandated you had to have three people on board. You had to have somebody to steer, or three people. You had to have somebody to steer And you had to have the stoker, that would be the guy that puts the coals in or the wood in the steam engine. 
And then you had to have a guy walking 60 yards in front waving red flags so that everybody could get out of the way of this vehicle that's so dangerous moving at two miles an hour. Um, and that's where the phrase red flag comes from, literally where the phrase comes from. And we use the phrase red flag to say that throws up a red flag, meaning there's something dangerous behind it. And so that's why I've chosen to title this the red flags of CCM or contemporary Christian music. Uh, to me, CCM is clearly and plainly one of the most spiritually dangerously dangerous things active in American Christianity today. I realize I'm speaking of many people that are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I try to do that respectfully. But it's genuinely what I believe. So tonight and next week, going to talk about the dangers of contemporary Christian music, and then the following week, I'm going to talk about what their justifications are and why their justifications are not any good. So my numbers are different than yours, but we'll go through your sheet before the night is over. First of all, uh, here are the red flags of CCM. First of all, it blurs it, speaking of contemporary Christian music, it blurs the clear distinction that ought to divide the church from the world. It blurs the clear distinction that ought to divide the church from the world. First John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't have time tonight to lay out a treatise on what the Bible says about the world and about worldliness, but for the moment, suffice it to say that I'm convinced that the Bible teaches that the world is a bad thing and that Christians are to avoid it. Inherent in CCM's roots and its institutional makeup, in other words, part of its DNA, is, is built into it this desire not to avoid the world, but to chase the world. It's built into it because that's what it's about. It's about making church music as similar to the world's music as possible, which means by their own standard or by, by literal definition, you cannot have an embrace of contemporary Christian music and a rejection of worldliness at the same time. You can't do it. It's, it's intellectually, logically, spiritually impossible. Um, I'm going to give you a, a, a handful of reviews of uh, contemporary Christian music concerts. I got these from various websites and magazines. These are actual reviews of some of their concerts. The pulsating techno music builds to a deafening crescendo as space-age sounding zaps punctuate the heavy bass and drum beat. Red and green laser lights etch twisting torsos against blackened walls as colored glow sticks slice through the manufactured fog. 200 teens, ages 14 to 18, have come to dance to cutting-edge house, trance, and jungle music, while light patterns of gobos and moonflowers wash the room in a bright array of color. That is a contemporary Christian music concert. Here's another one. The crowd was stoked and ready to rock as the music started to play, and the audience could still only see the silhouettes of the band members. Behind a pale, illuminated curtain, Stewart worked the fans into a frenzy when he left the stage. Here's another one. These, these, are, these are reviews. It's not what I think of it, it's what the reviewers thought of it. At the first chords, the crowd began pogo jumping in unison to the crisp guitar, driving rhythm, and sweet harmonies. A funky retro spiral light projector swirled behind the band, accentuating the hipness, already fighting the fog machine for control of the room's atmosphere. Owen dedicated the next song to the ladies. The laid-back southern groove brought the crowd back to a head-bobbing frenzy. Here's another one. Offering the best that crunk rock has to offer, the five-piece masters of fun move the crowd with their intriguing show, 
leaving quite an impression. The lead vocalist encouraged the crowd to make some noise as they performed a personalized cover of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. Isn't that just wonderful? Those are rock concerts, but they're Christian rock concerts. I realize they're not church services. They're, they're, they're Christian rock concerts, but there is a, a blending of that atmosphere increasingly that comes into churches that accept that kind of music. When I was looking for a church, I knew I was leaving Chicago, and I did not know where I was going to go next. I looked at more churches than I could possibly explain to you that were without pastors. One of the things that I did first when I heard that a church was without a pastor, I pulled up its website, but the thing that told me more than its website was the church's Facebook page. Because the church's website just gives you information, the church's Facebook page gives you pictures. And pictures give you more information than information gives you. A picture is worth, right? My next book is just gonna be 90 pictures and it'll save me so much time. Um, <clears throat> so I would pull up the church's Facebook page. I want to see what that platform looks like. That's the first, you, you say, well, you're being, you're broad brushing and you're being harsh and judgmental. Yeah, but when you've looked at scores and scores and scores of churches, you begin to understand that how they do their platform reflects what they believe. I'm not saying it's, 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 it's unbiblical or biblical. I'm saying it, it reveals what they believe. Um, and uh, uh, it, 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 it's, it's very obvious when you look at a church that embraces this kind of music, it's apparent on their platform. There is very little barrier between what is the predominant culture of this world and what those kind of churches like. I asked one time, and I've got numerous friends that go to these type of churches. I have friends that pastor these kind of churches. And I asked a group of them one day, I was just feeling ornery. I said, that happens to me only on days that end in Y. Um, and I, some of you are like, what's so funny? You'll get it by slow freight. Um, I asked them, I said, when's the last time you heard a sermon against worldliness in your church? And nobody could answer me. Well, but I thought, I thought you're talking about music, not the preaching. But you don't understand. When you embrace that kind of music, you, you, give, you give up your whole church's antagonism to the world. You cannot embrace that kind of music and still maintain an antagonistic attitude toward the world. You can't. Amen. And so you can't preach sermons against worldliness because how can you preach sermons against worldliness when your music program is dedicated to be as much like the world as possible? You just can't do it. It, 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 it becomes impossible. Uh, <clears throat> this is driven by CCM's embrace of worldly musical styles. It's aggravated by the contemporary American church's fascination with aping modern movie and TV shows for sermon themes and materials. If I had a dime for every time I saw some church advertised in a summer series based upon some movie, I think I'd be a millionaire. And that'll happen here about the time they sell popsicles in hell. Not going to copy the world when it comes to the church. Amen. The world's entertainment, all kinds of its entertainment, has now become a prime mover in the contemporary American church. There's no longer a barrier. There's no longer a teaching people this world is a dangerous thing. Instead, we're trying to be as close to it as we possibly can. Now, it's sincere. 
I'm not saying it's insincere. It's sincere out of a desire to reach the world. But that, that, that distance is gone. That barrier is gone. Because modern churches preach very little against worldliness, as their whole church culture embraces worldliness, this leaves the Christian in an awkward and dangerous place. Awkward because in your heart the Holy Spirit tells you something's not right. Now I don't think it's a good, uh, I don't think it's a good answer. I've had people tell me, well, I just know something wasn't right about that music. I think that's a lousy answer. You should figure out why. But I know why you don't feel something's right about the music, because the Holy Spirit's telling you it's wrong. So that puts Christians in an awkward place where they're in church, and they're saved as I am, but they know something. I got an email, a message just today from somebody. I was reading a book on Monday. I'm reading a book right now, uh, A History of the Vikings. And uh, not the Minnesota Vikings, the actual Vikings. Um, <coughs> and I discovered, I was talking about the birthdays today, it's fascinating. I discovered that, of course, the Vikings were pagan. They worshiped all kinds of pagan gods that now we watch movies about. <clears throat> you might want to think about that the next time you think the movie's funny. Those are actual gods, right? So they're worshiping Thor, and they're worshiping Odin, and they're worshiping Loki, and they're worshiping these and, and Freya, and these, these hor horrific gods and goddesses. And as Christianity moved its way north in Europe, they converted slowly over uh, the space of a couple of centuries to Christianity. Now, it was a Catholic form of Christianity, but they abandoned their worship of their other gods and embraced Jesus Christ. And the Viking people, as they transitioned their culture to be Christian, they made up a term, they invented a word to describe what their culture was like prior to Christianity. And I can't pronounce the word because I don't speak Viking. But I'll give you the definition. Now, this is a secular book I'm reading, written by a very liberal man. Um, but, uh, but they invented a word to describe what their culture was like, their religious culture was like prior to Christianity, and the term means the time of the drum. That's what the term means. That's their term, the Viking term, for what it was like to be pagan was the time of the drum. Why? Because there's something inherent. I gave, I gave several lessons about this earlier in this series on music. There's something inherent about the connection between a rhythm-heavy music and the worship of demons and a very sensual type of atmosphere. And uh, I've seen it all over the world, not physically, but read about it in Africa and the Caribbean and South America and the Native American tribes in Asia, in Europe, and now in, again in Scandinavia. It's the exact same thing. Um, so that makes it very awkward as a Christian because there's something inside of you that says this isn't right. It also makes it dangerous, especially for the young Christian. Because the young Christians who grew up in that kind of an atmosphere, they don't have any, so many people in, in contemporary Christian churches now, they grew up in churches that were not like that. And so they have a background of preaching that is more solid and a background of approach that's more solid. But the generation that's been raised in those kind of churches, they don't see the world at all as a dangerous place. The world's entertainment is not a problem. The world's culture is not a problem. The world's dress is not a problem. The world's philosophy is not a problem. And, uh, and, and so they're, they're real comfortable in the world. And that's a very dangerous place to be. This embrace of worldliness in CCM churches, driven by music and entertainment, shows up in the clothes they wear, in the words they use, in the conversations they hold. CCM churches produce Christians who are comfortable with the world. 
Now, I know Christians in our kind of churches that are comfortable with the world. The problem is they don't like church. Right? They don't like church. They come, but if you could sit up here and look and see what I see, you'd understand they don't like church. It's written all over their face. But now in those kind of churches, you can go to that kind of church and you can like it because it's like the world you like the rest of the week. Number two, red flags. Number two, CCM has a tendency to produce stars instead of servants. Has a tendency to produce stars instead of servants. Now, it's, remember, it's copying the world on purpose. It's trying to copy the world. So because it's trying to copy the world, it copies the world's music industry. The Bible doesn't have the word industry in it. The Bible has the word ministry in it. I talked about this the other day when I was talking about um, uh, last week about not clapping, right? Because it's a ministry, not a performance. So they call it the Christian music industry, not music ministry. Um, and so they, they have charts. I don't mean dispensational charts. I mean chart-topping hits. Um, they have awards that copy just like the Grammys. They have the Dove Awards. Um, they, uh, uh, let, let me give you a couple of, a couple of reviews. Um, these are reviews of, not of concerts, but of CCM performers. Here's one. Uh, the thing that the band had going for them is their fans singing along. Man, were those 13 to 16-year-old girls going nuts over Matt and company. Now, how would you think if a youth pastor got up on a youth rally and everybody's cheering and somebody said, whoa, were those, those, those teenage girls love that youth preacher? Uh, here's another one. Shri these are literal. I've taken them from their own reviews. Shrill screams reverberated off the sky-high ceiling. The beginning riff followed by an overwhelmingly loud whoa sent shockwaves through the violently undulating teenage sea. Small groups of girls stood in tight circles, clapping like cheerleaders, practically running in place with mouths agape and screams as if the Beatles had just stepped on American soil. What is that? That's worship, but not of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake. Rudyard Kipling, who was not a Christian, wrote a wonderful little poem called If, and he talks in that poem about how to be a man, and one of the statements he makes is, if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue. The reason he said that is because it's hard. When you're up in front of people and people are looking at you and, and coming to you for tell me how to live my life, it goes to your... Did you ever know a preacher with a pride problem? Is the Pope a Catholic, right? I, I fight that in my heart. And I do things, and I think I've mentioned this before, I don't have my name on the church stationery, just a little thing, but I don't have it on the church stationery. I won't put my name on the church sign. I'm not ashamed to say I'm the pastor. But those things feed my pride. Um, I, I wouldn't want people, we were talking about this last week, Steve, I wouldn't want people to clap for me after a sermon. I know that would feed my pride. Um, but this atmosphere that copies the world of CCM performers, they build an atmosphere that feeds their sense of being stars. Um, imagine this for a moment. Let's say we did with preachers what they do with musicians. We'd have a Preacher of the Year award. 
Doesn't that just strike you as wrong? We'd have a rookie preacher of the year award. I'm sorry, they call it the breakthrough preacher of the year award. I'm surprised I didn't get that one. Um, We'd have a sermon of the year award. Just for fun, I took a review of a particular CCM performer and I changed it all to me. Okay? So this is an actual review, but I stuck my name in. So here's how, here's how it sounds. This is from Christianity Today, which is the most famous American Christian magazine. Um, Tom Brennan deserves high praise for combining multiple interests into a single cohesive preaching style. Y'all are just not helping me tonight. I, I think we should start this again. This is really the meat of the message right here. And my wife's not here to hear this. It's a tragedy. Tom Brennan deserves... Thank you. Tom Brennan deserves high praise for combining multiple interests into a single cohesive preaching style. His talents are undeniable and promising. Brennan is wildly ambitious, intriguingly varied, and remarkably thought-provoking. He is known for his great opening lines, his stunning delivery, his amazing productions, and his enthusiastic storytelling. It seems only fitting that we pay tribute to Tom Brennan, this pivotal Christian preacher. Now, isn't that noxious? Besides the fact it would all be true. Isn't it noxious? I'm making it a joke, but that is genuinely how they treat their performers. Well, what do you think that does? It, it cultivates an, atm- an attitude or an atmosphere of worship toward that individual and the idea of them being a star rather than a servant. The world loves to glorify itself. Jesus told us to die to ourselves. When you hear a choir sing or you open up your songbook for a congregational song, your attention here is first drawn to the song. That's what you notice first. You don't notice who's singing it. You notice the song. On the other hand, with CCM, your attention is first drawn to the performer. That's a problem. What you notice is his vocal ability, his instrumental ability, his showmanship ability. Now, I don't deny there have been some preachers that way, where what struck me about those preachers is their performing ability. I don't deny there are preachers like that in the independent Baptist movement. But CCM practically and inherently demands it because it's aping the world. Number three, CCM has a tendency to convert the church service into a show I talked about that last week. I'm not going to talk about it again tonight. Number four, CCM has a tendency to produce in Christians an incorrect understanding and application of worship. Of worship. I spent, what, four weeks earlier this year or last year teaching you what the Bible says about worship. The church service is not a worship service. But beyond that, What do they call the people that lead their music? A worship leader. Brother Greg is not a worship leader, he's a song leader. Words mean things. 
The reason I don't call him a worship leader is because when you use terms like that, you teach people to associate worship with music. You say, what's wrong with that? Because worship is so much bigger than music. See, my critics say, they'll say, well, you're, you're trying to limit worship. Our church is good at worship, and you Baptists, you independent Baptists are lousy at worship. I would disagree with that emphatically. It's not us who limit worship, it's them. They call it the worship time with the worship team, with the worship leader. And they sing praise and... And so people associate all of that with, this is, I'm getting my worship on. Worship is so much bigger than music. And when you associate it so tightly with music, you've removed it from all the other places where it ought to be. You've limited it. I'm not teaching that series again, but it comes in here. Number five, CCM has a tendency to produce user-friendly Christianity user-friendly Christianity. By user-friendly, what I mean is this. It redefines God as oriented toward us instead of us oriented toward God. Does God exist for us or do we exist for God? Now, God's gracious, God's long-suffering, God is merciful, God is loving, God is compassionate, God is understanding, God is so good to us. But listen, beloved, he did not create himself for us he created us for him. The Presbyterians are right when they said the chief end of man is to enjoy God and, and glorify him. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? Our job is to serve God. Our job is to make God look good, to glorify him. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our religion is oriented toward him. It's pointed toward him. The Bible is not first a self-help manual. The Bible is first the revelation of it shows me who God is. And it's become a key thing to me in my preaching. I must constantly be showing people who God is in my preaching. Because that's how God designed it. But CCM inverts that, flips it the other way. Um, for example, it does this in contrast to preaching. Preaching is meant to directly confront the individual with their hopeless sinfulness in the eyes of a holy God and demand they change. I was just talking with Brother Gene about that this afternoon in my office. We were going over some things about preaching. Preaching demands a verdict. Preaching comes to you and says, you've got to change something. That's what preaching does. CCM music isn't preaching. It's art. They have CCM artists. That's their term, not mine, there. What do artists do? They art. Art wasn't made for preaching. The Bible doesn't say you go into all the world and do art. Art's not made to confront people. Art's made to express yourself. Art's made to show beauty. I'm not against art. I'm for art. But when you essentially, and what do these churches do? They minimize preaching and they maximize music. You know why? Because preaching confronts people, makes them feel bad. Music, what is music? It's a emotional language, and it makes people feel good. And they want people to leave the service feeling good. And so they maximize the music and minimize the preaching. Less confrontation, more feeling good. 
CCM seeks to produce in the audience a good feeling, so it must go light on repentance, light on sin, light on judgment, light on hell, light on condemnation, light on confrontation. And as such, it, it makes God seem much more approachable than he is. Isaiah said, I'm not saying God's not approachable. God's approachable when we humble ourselves. What did Isaiah say? I saw God, and he was high, and he was holy, and he was lifted up. And what was his reaction? I'm a man of unclean lips. Everybody in this old black book who ever saw God did the exact same thing. They fell flat on their face. Fell flat on their face. That's the reaction when you're confronted with who God is and who you are in retrospect. Not only do we find this true in, its con in contrast with preaching, but we see it produces a user-friendly Christianity as revealed in the service structure. I have two books in the conference room that defend the use of contemporary Christian music. I have many more that criticize it. I have two that defend it. I've read them both. Um, one is by John Frame, who's, who's a Presbyterian, and the Presbyterians had the same they call them worship wars, the same battles over music in their denomination that Baptists have had. And John Frame is a professor, and he's defending the use of CCM. He calls it CWM, Contemporary Worship Music. This is a quote from his book. These, he's talking about CCM. This is his words in a book defending CCM. Not my words about him. This is his own words. He says, these non-traditional forms of worship have displayed some fairly common patterns. So he's going to describe what this music is like in a church service. More contemporary language and music, informal atmosphere, greater emphasis on joyful celebration, less on mourning over sin. The church seeks to encourage an atmosphere of welcome and friendliness. CW, contemporary worship music, avoids turnoffs like ancient liturgy, emphasis on denominational history and theological distinctives, 10-minute prayers, 40-minute sermons, uncomfortable seats, Ministers begging for money in crowded parking lots and restrooms. The preaching assumes little congregational knowledge of scripture and doctrine and avoids technical theological language. It begins by addressing felt needs. Sometimes the church uses drama and films and multimedia, usually to pose questions the sermon seeks to answer. CW is often called seeker-sensitive or user-friendly. All of those things he just praised as being wonderful, I think have a problem. When you criticize prayers that are 10 minutes long and sermons that are four minutes long and you replace that with music that makes people feel good, there's a spiritual problem down the line. I obviously don't think our church ought to be unfriendly or unwelcoming. But you listen to me tonight. If an unsaved person can sit in our church for months on end and not feel uncomfortable, then what's the point? I'm not trying to make unsaved people uncomfortable. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit does. But if the Holy Spirit isn't, it begs the question, why isn't he? Because he isn't there, maybe? Listen, if to be reached by this kind of a church means nothing has to change, then what are you reaching them to? What's the point? Why reach them if you're not going to change them? CCM and its underlying philosophy seeks to make the lost man completely comfortable in church. 
I don't want the lost man to be comfortable in church. I want us to be kind and friendly, but I don't want someone sitting in my services living in adultery to be comfortable Amen. or violating any other of God's commandments to be comfortable. I want the Holy Spirit to be bothering them. My predecessor in Chicago, God bless him, he was an old school kind of a guy. When he got there in 1982, the church had a sign out front that said, we have a comfortable pew for you. First thing he did was take that sign down. He didn't like that word comfortable. Now, he didn't, he didn't understand this as well as I do. I'm not criticizing him. He's in heaven now. He knows the truth. But, but he understood instinctively. If our goal is to make the lost people comfortable, that means we have to adjust ourselves to produce an atmosphere they'll like. But the Holy Spirit doesn't like those kind of atmospheres. See, the lost man in this situation doesn't feel any pressure or see any need to change. He doesn't feel any sense of condemnation. Why? Because there's less preaching. There's less confrontation. And by the way, you always hear churches like this talk about grace. And I'm for grace. Don't you hang me on that. I already spent 10 weeks in here teaching about grace. They talk about, oh, we don't judge. Totally misunderstanding Matthew chapter 7. They don't want to put any pressure on people. The, the lost man doesn't feel any sense of condemnation, only approval and welcome. In his mind, then, God feels toward him like that church does. Like, my life's okay. I don't need to change anything. I'm just going to show up, enjoy the performance, and feel good and go home. Beloved, I'm not trying to make you miserable. But if the preaching doesn't confront you, if it doesn't force you to reckon with your own behavior, if a church service doesn't make you examine yourself, then why go? What kind of a doctor would it be if every time you went to see him, you said, I'm sick. He goes, oh, no, you're fine. Here, take this pill. You'll feel better. What the Beatles sang about pills that make you faster and smaller and larger. and right? Just take a pill and don't worry about the problem. Just take a pill. Doctor pats you on the head and says, listen to this nice music and then have a nice day. But doc, you haven't fixed my problem. I don't need to fix your problem. I just want to make you feel good. God doesn't want a come-as-you-are religion. God wants you to come despising who you are. We're not a come-as-you-are church. That doesn't mean we have people out front turning people away who are dressed inappropriately. What it means is we don't want to cultivate an attitude that says you come, and no matter what's going on in your life, you come and everything's fine. It's not fine. You've got to shape up. God wants you to come desperate for his grace to change something. Not just to enjoy the way you're living now. The practical outgrowth of such an acceptance philosophy and user-friendly approach to Christianity is that almost anything goes. And if you lovingly confront a Christian of this persuasion, you'll be called a legalist, a Pharisee, and accused of being judgmental and non-loving. It just goes with the territory. The end result is this. It is a mess of a church that doesn't confront people with hard truth and demand change. It looks and sounds just like the world. It puts on a weekly show. It sends people home feeling good with the impression they're close to God because they experience an emotional high during worship. And all of that springs from this music. It's so curious, isn't it? Churches you know that used to be like ours and they're not anymore. What changed first? 
everything else follows it. We trust you were challenged to find a biblical path for navigating through some differences within Baptist churches. Join your host, Dr. Steve Dameron, next week for another engaging podcast. May God richly bless you.